Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. And today we're going to be looking at a real unusual character and it's not, I think, often associated with God's providence and that's a person named Samson, uh, obviously somebody that we're all very familiar with and I've, uh, I've entitled our session today, Samson, Tragic Hero of the Faith. You know, one of the, I guess, the, the great, uh, let's see, would you close that door, please? Thanks. Uh, one of the great playwrights, of course, of all time was uh, William Shakespeare, and one of the things that he wrote uh, a good many of were tragedies, and um, essentially a tragedy, uh, a play such as uh, uh, Shakespeare's that is a tragedy uh, essentially just demonstrates waste, how uh, because of mental or social or whatever other kind of pressures come into a person's life, uh, all of a sudden things are just wasted. I think Hamlet is a, is a real good uh, illustration of that. But we're going to be looking at Samson today, who is, uh, and we're going to see that he is listed among the heroes of the faith. Probably before we're gonna get, we get through, we're going to wonder why he's in the heroes of faith. And yet, uh, and yet, that's where uh, where God puts him. Uh, when you think of Samson, what immediately comes to mind? He's such a familiar character. What comes to? I'm sorry, Delilah comes to mind. Okay, what else? Strength. That's right. Uh, anything else come to mind? What What do you suppose Samson? You suppose he was sort of the Arnold Schwarzenegger type, the real muscular kind of guy. Or was he a guy of just average physique? What do you think? It's it's you're big and strong. I think we we think to think in terms of that. Although it's uh, the Bible never describes him uh, him physically, and uh, it just seems like um, every once in a while the spirit of the Lord would come on him, and all of a sudden. Uh, what was so interesting is when the Spirit of the Lord would come on him, he would very often do very destructive kinds of things. And so we want to talk about that too. Samson appears during the time of the judges. We talked about one character uh, two or three sessions ago named Ruth who appeared during that same time. But there was a... Uh, <clears throat> there was sort of a... a there was sort of a cycle of events that would go on during the book of Judges. Remember the... Uh, you've got uh, you've got the Exodus uh, under under Moses, and then uh, the book of uh, Joshua eventually comes along. Uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus were all written by Moses during this particular period. Joshua comes along, leads them into the Promised Land uh, in the in the book that's named after him, and there immediately follows a period of time known as the judges, and it was a period of 400 years. Uh, during this time, the, the key verse that's used in the book of Judges is used twice to describe this period. It says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And uh, the judges were uh, pretty much 
local or regional deliverers. In fact, as we talk about Samson today, we're going to see that what he did took place basically in the area of Dan and Judah. Notice that there are uh, five cities. Some of them have hard names. Some of them have names that we're familiar with today just from listening to the news. There were five cities of the Philistines that were located in this little sort of bend down here. Uh, a couple of them were located right on the, uh, on the coastline of the Mediterranean. That was Ashdod and Ashkelon. And there were three other cities, Ekron, Gath, and Eglon. And these, each of these five cities was ruled by a Philistine lord, and all of the cities together, uh, the five cities with the five lords, comprised the nation of the Philistines. They had just sort of carved out a little region for themselves, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about that more here in, uh, in just a minute. But this is, uh, this is where uh, Samson operated, was just in this area. He didn't have a, anything to do with up here in the north, in, in northern Israel. He was a regional kind of a judge or deliverer. It's interesting that when you read through the book of Judges, you see a cycle that's just repeated. And it begins with a cycle of sin. What happened was the, uh, after Joshua and the elders who were with Joshua died, there, uh, there came along another generation who just were unaware of what had gone on before. And the drift really came, uh, came to be away from the Lord. And so the children of Israel would go into sin. What would follow that was servitude. That is, they would come under, uh, under the dominion of someone. In this case, it would be the Philistine nation. Uh, after, uh, after that, uh, you could, uh, if you wanted to, you could add suffering. There'd be a period of suffering, but that would kind of go along with the whole idea of, of servitude, followed by supplication when they would cry out to the Lord to have mercy on them, and they, they would repent of their sins. And then the... Uh, and then the Lord would send salvation in the form of, uh, of some deliverer. In this case, Samson, but Gideon, uh, Deborah, Barak, all of those would fall, those individuals would fall into that same thing. And then after, uh, after they were delivered, guess what would happen to these people again? The cycle would start all over. The next generation would come along. They would drift away from the things that, uh, from which they had originally repented and the, and the whole cycle would begin all over again. That's kind of the background for the book of Judges uh, itself. Uh, notice what, and I put this in your notes in the left-hand column in Hebrews, from Hebrews chapter 11, and it's uh, what I call Samson's epitaph. Remember, Hebrews 11 really gives us the heroes of the faith, and I mean people like uh, Abraham and Moses and Joshua. And we're not surprised to see those kind of individuals there. But as the writer gets near the end of his list, he writes this, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. In fact, there are several of those phrases that can be applied directly to Samson, and I think we'll see that uh, today. The Bible says that 
uh, in Romans chapter 11 that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That is, when God places, uh, has his purpose on our, for our lives and he's going to do what he intends to do, and he gives us the gifts to accomplish that, God doesn't take those gifts away. Now, we may prostitute those gifts or use those gifts in some sort of awful way, as we're going to see uh, uh, Samson doing just that. Uh, let me say uh, just a little bit more about this, uh, about this culture of the Philistines, just by way of background, before we begin to look at the story itself, though it's a rather familiar story. Uh, one of their, as I mentioned, there are five cities who made it up, and that made up the uh, nation of Philistia itself. They were... Uh, they were basically of European ancestry. They were, uh, they were a very smart people. They, uh, their chief god was a, uh, was a god called Dagon, D-A-G-O-N. And he had uh, sort of the head of a fish. And uh, as you can see, Ashdod and Ashkelon were uh, seaport cities. And so <clears throat> we're not surprised that one of their uh, deities that they worshipped had something to do with the sea. It was also an agricultural uh, society, but one of the things that they were really famous for was they were metallurgists. And so they're the ones who fabricated weapons and chariots and things like that made of uh, materials that were very difficult for all of the nations round about to overcome. Uh, they were fierce, warring people who sought to conquer all of Canaan. Uh, in fact, as you'll notice here, Dan is sort of a uh, kind of a dog-leg-looking area. When, when Joshua brought the children of Israel in some years prior to this and the land was settled, eventually uh, when there was pretty much peace throughout the land, the land was divided up. Judah got this large part in the south. Benjamin was right above that, but there was sort of a little wedge in between the two that was Dan. Well, the, the fighting was so uh, heavy and the... And, uh, the oppression from the Philistines was so difficult that eventually much of Dan moved up here to the, uh, to the north and established a, uh, established a little settlement up here. And it would not be until, oh, later on in the time of uh, David and even Solomon before many of these people resettled this area because of the, uh, because of the impact of the Philistines. Uh, there are a lot of pottery shards that have been discovered and it reveals their admiration for sports. They were really into things like bullfighting. They were prodigious drinkers. One of the, one of the biggest, uh, one of the things that archaeologists find more than anything else are beer steins. They were apparently uh, people who knew how to fermate, ferment a drink and uh, seemed, to, uh, seemed to enjoy that. And those things like fighting and being able to make tremendous weapons of war and doing a lot of uh, drinking, all of those things were very uh, uh, evidence of the, of the kind of lifestyle that, uh, that those people lived. And maybe it gives us a little bit of a clue as to why Samson was attracted to them and why in many ways they were attracted to Samson because Samson, although he was a... Uh, a hero of the faith was a person who seemed to be, uh, who, who was ruled by his passions and who was drawn to a decadent kind of lifestyle. Now, in the long run, it cost him even his, uh, even his life. Samson is a man who started off very well. He had everything in the world going for him, as we'll see. 
But when the story's over, he comes home as a blind, dead POW. And uh, that's, that's essentially the way that the, uh, the story ends. So having said all of that by way of background, let's uh, just look at the text itself and try to uh, come up with some, uh, some ideas about what was going on in his life. Notice how he begins. We see his, uh, his calling and the gift that he's given from uh, the beginning, in, beginning at Judges chapter 13 and verse 1. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, again, the word again appearing there illustrates just what I was talking about before, that you've got this cycle that's going on. And so there's uh, been all of this activity. Eventually, the Lord had sent along uh, uh, a deliverer. There had been salvation. Then the people just sort of got away from it. And when I say salvation, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not saying necessarily that this has to do with eternal salvation, but it's just the idea of someone who would come along and get them out of the jam that they're in, a, a deliverer to, uh, to speak of. Judges 13, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. All right, they turned away from the Lord. They were doing awful things, and so what does God do? He turns the Philistines loose on them. So here they are. They're down in this area, and they're close enough uh, to, <clears throat> to this area. Dan, we're going to discover Samson is from the tribe of Dan, and uh, it really sets up the uh, possibility of some interesting conflict. Verse 2, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her, that is, and her name is never given, so I guess we could just have to call her Mrs. Manoah. But the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, See to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you don't eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head. This boy is never going to ever have a haircut. Now, there are only two other people in the Bible that had this kind of perpetual vow on them. One of those was Samuel, who, uh, who would uh, uh, come along near the, he would be the last of the judges, and the other person would be John the Baptizer uh, as we meet him in the New Testament. This is what's known as a, uh, what God was doing was uh, in saying that he's going to be dedicated to the Lord is that if you look in the book of Numbers, uh, I believe it's Numbers chapter 6, there is a, uh, there's a person called a Nazarite. Now, even though it begins with the spelling N-A-Z-I, this person was not a Nazi. Uh, but it has to do with a person who is totally dedicated to the Lord. That could be a, uh, a temporary kind of thing. Paul did that once in the book of Acts, Luke tells us about, where he shaves his head, and then he begins to let his hair grow, and he's, he dedicates himself fully and finally to the Lord. Um, but more often than not, when the Bible talks about a Nazarite, it's usually talking about someone who does this as a perpetual kind of thing, and that's what uh, Samson did. It says, no razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So it tells us, first of all, about his character. He's, gonna, he's got everything going for him. This is a person 
who's coming into the world, does God have a plan and purpose for Samson's life? Absolutely. And, uh, but what he does with his gifts and his abilities uh, is another story. But notice he has a career, and the last phrase, essentially, of, uh, of that uh, text there says he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, what does the word begin infer? That's right. He's not, he's not going to finish the deliverance. He's just going to get it started. So, uh, he's born as a Nazarite, which means he's never going to have a haircut. He's gonna, he is uh, supposed to abstain from anything that comes from the vine. He should never eat grapes. He shouldn't drink grape juice. He shouldn't drink wine, any of those kinds of things. And he is supposed to never come in contact with a dead body. Those are, uh, those are three things that, uh, that is supposed to uh, be true of all Nazarites. Judges 14. Doesn't tell us about uh, Samson's growing up. Uh, I guess he grew up as an average kid would, but then all of a sudden something begins to happen in his life. Judges 14. And what we, what we want to see is the tremendous character flaw that seemed to be in Samson's life. Here is a man who's ruled by his passions. Now, passion can be a real good thing to, in fact, Webster defined, one of the definitions that Webster has for passion is that it is an extreme, compelling emotion. We, have, we feel passion toward the things that we believe in a lot. But... Uh, Unfortunately, Samson's passions were in a different direction. Samson developed a passion for drinking, uh, things that were fermented, totally against his vow. He, he developed a, uh, a real passion for the ladies, and, uh, and it didn't have to be Israelite ladies. Uh, it could be a Philistine. And the fascinating thing is we see the providence of God working in spite of all of that because in spite of these character flaws, God is going to use this person to do a mighty work in this region of the, uh, of the world at that time. If you'll notice in your left-hand column, before we start looking at Judges 14, I want you to just notice two things there. I, I've noted in your outline that, uh, that Samson was ruled by his passions, and then we, I, I mentioned something about the results of his passions. First of all, he was a man who uh, indulged himself sexually. Uh, that's the way his ministry uh, as a deliverer seemed to begin, and it ended the same way with a little tryst with uh, a lady named Delilah. And in between, he had a visit to a prostitute. So here's a guy who started off being the called of God, had a plant God had put his hand on him from the time he was in the womb, and yet the guy is seen throughout here messing around with the girls, hanging out with prostitutes, doing all those kinds of things. Here's a guy who was not led by the Spirit, but who was led by his passions. He was uh, a person who was characterized by humorous one-upmanship. He loved jokes. In, in fact, the Philistines loved jokes, and they liked, uh, and they liked to try to uh, one-up each other. Samson loved that, and we're going to see that as we read through this. And he was also a person who was uh, characterized by a vengeful kind of anger. When the Spirit of God came on Samson, uh, there's one point where he just rips a lion in half, where he kills thousands of people at, uh, at one time. And the result 
of his, this passion is, as I've got listed right here, is that uh, he was very gullible when it came to women. He was easily convinced to compromise what he believed was the truth. Uh, a lady could come along, a woman could come along and shed a few tears or begin to nag just a little bit, and he would just crumble right there in front of her. And we'll see that as we read through the story. He was a haughty person. He was very arrogant. He had great contempt for other people. And he was a person with a very demanding kind of spirit. He demanded from his parents. He demanded from the Philistines. He demanded from women. He demanded from everybody that it always go his way. And in fact, in one point in here, he even makes demands from God himself. So you say, how could God possibly use somebody like this? But the truth is, is that God did use him. And just because God used him doesn't mean he was a marvelous person in terms of his character. But it does show how when God intends to do something, no matter what we do, no matter how we seek to thwart it, God is going to have his way. And, uh, but there are going to be, uh, there's going to be a price to pay, as we'll see in the life of Samson. Now, back to Judges chapter 14. And as we read through this, I'm just going to point out a few little things here and there. And, uh, and I want you to kind of keep this whole thing about how he was ruled by his passions in mind. Sexual indulgence, his desire to one-up everybody, and also the vengeful type of anger that he seemed to demonstrate. Judges 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah. We're not exactly sure exactly where Timnah was, but Timnah must have been somewhere along the border between Dan and this area uh, down here where the Philistines were. So clearly it's, uh, it's, uh, it's in that area, in that geographical area. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now what does Mosaic law require that Jewish, what, what kind of woman is a Jewish man to marry? A Jewish woman, that's right. Uh, but notice what, uh, notice what it says. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? And that, that word uncircumcised was a term of derision. Don't you realize that you're talking about going to someone who is outside of the covenant? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. The New American Standard is, a, this is the New International Version that I'm reading. The New American Standard is a little bit more accurate to that. It says, get her, uh, it says, get her for me. She looks good to me. That was his reason for wanting her because she was so good looking. And we see right at the beginning of his ministry, here's a guy who is tempted by what he sees and he just goes after it. And even when his parents say, wait a minute, you know, this is not what God's law says do. Let's find you a wife among, uh, among your own countrymen, a, 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 a nice Jewish girl. He says, she's the one, she's the one I like, she looks good to me, you get her for me. His, notice verse 4, and the, the writer of uh, Judges tells us something parenthetically. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Now, does this mean that God 
is stirring up Samson to do something evil. Not at all. God doesn't do that. God doesn't tempt us to do evil. But what God did do was the same thing in Samson that he had done in those ten brothers of Joseph when he uses their evil to accomplish <clears throat> his own purposes. Samson went down to Timnah. He talked with the woman and he liked her. That shouldn't surprise us. And Samson made a feast there as was customary for bridegrooms. So he, he, makes the, uh, he makes the arrangements. He's going to get married. And one of the things that you do uh, in this day from a cultural standpoint is you put on a great big wedding feast. And uh, a wedding feast uh, usually lasted for seven days. And the marriage was consummated at the end of that period. And what Samson's going to do is he's going to bet 30 Philistines that, uh, that they could not solve a riddle that he proposes to them. Now, the riddle that, uh, that he comes up with has to do with a lion and some bees and honey. What happened was as he was going down to take his bride, going down to this feast for those seven days, as a lion came jumping out of nowhere, and all of a sudden the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson and he grabbed that lion and he just ripped it right down the middle. And just a brief time later, he sees the lion again, the carcass, and bees have already started uh, accumulating in the, uh, in the bowel, apparently, area of the, uh, of the lion's carcass. And, uh, and so he comes up with a riddle about something strong and something sweet, and he figures he's going he's gonna, to uh, get 30 uh, brand-new Hart Schaffner and Mark suits from these Philistines. Let's see how it works. Verse 11, when he appeared, he was given 30 companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Now, the Philistines loved this. They loved playing games, and they loved riddles. They were that kind of people. Tell us your riddle, they said. Well, he tells them the riddle. Out of the strong came something sweet. Out of the eater came something to eat. And, uh, you know, they're scratching their heads, and they can't figure it out, and it's getting closer and closer to the end of the feast. And they realize that they're on the line, each one of these guys, to go out and have to buy a brand-new suit, which is extremely expensive for Samson. It says, tell us your riddle. And for three days, they couldn't give the answer. And on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband. Now, what does it mean to coax somebody? Yeah, maybe beg them. It has the idea of luring, entice your husband. Now remember, this woman is a Philistine woman, so she's accustomed to the way the Philistines deal. Coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we'll burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? Now, the question that comes to my mind immediately, that of course the Bible does not answer, is why didn't this woman go to Samson and said, there are 30 guys who are threatening Dad and me. Would you take care of it, sweetheart? But she doesn't do that. Notice, uh, notice what happens. Verse 16, Samson's wife threw herself on him, Samson sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. Now, what's she concerned about? What, what have they threatened? To kill her, that's right. Burn down the house, take her life and her father's life. 
You haven't told me the answer. Verse 17, she cried the whole seven days of the feast. Doesn't that sound like a great wedding feast? Uh, so on the seventh day, he finally told her, and notice this, because, this, this gives us why. He finally told her, because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. And, of course, they won the bet, and so Samson's got to pay off, and he doesn't have anywhere to get 30 suits, so what do you think he's going to do? He's going to go to one of these cities, kill 30 guys, and get their suits from them. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house. And incidentally, in, in the course of all of this, he refers to his bride as a heifer. Now, what is a heifer? <laughs> A cow, that's right, a, a lady cow. And he says, uh, he, he tells the people who told him the riddle, said, ah, we know what it is. You saw a, we, you saw a lion with uh, bees and making honey in it. And he said, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't know that. And uh, the marriage was not consummated. And Samson kind of went on his way. And of all things, the bride is given to the best man. Judges 15. Later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. See, he thought he was married. But he's been ticked off, so he's been living somewhere else. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father wouldn't let him go in. I was so sure you thoroughly hated her, he said, that I gave her to your friend. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Now, Samson replies to that by saying, Samson said to them, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. And if you remember the story, what he did was he caught, I don't know how he caught them, but he caught a bunch of jackals. And he tied the jackals together by the tails, two by two, and took some combustible materials and tied it to the jackals' tails, set it on fire, and then let the jackals go. And as they ran through these fields, now what are the condition of these fields? What does it say? They were ready to do? It's harvest time. So that, uh, uh, are, are those pieces of wheat, are they green or are they sort of brown? Yeah, they're turning brown and they're very combustible. So these jackals run through, set everything on fire. And, you know, all of a sudden you've got tremendous economic ruin that's going on here among the Philistines and uh, burned up their crops, burned up their vineyards. The Philistines got real upset. They came and, and burned down uh, this man's house and killed uh, him and the woman after all. And, uh, and then all of a sudden what happens is that the Philistines are so incensed in what's going on that they begin to give the, the people of Judah some trouble. And so the people in Judah say, you know, I guess we need to go and prevail upon Samson and see if we can take him captive and uh, so that we can stop all of this. Notice verse 14. Uh, finally, uh, Samson turns himself over to the Philistines he, after they promise that they're not going to hurt him themselves. He says, you just turn me over to the Philistines and, uh, because what he planned was to retaliate for their, uh, their murder of, uh, of his what was supposed to be bride. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines 
uh, came toward him shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Now, why a fresh one instead of an old one? That's right. I'm sure that's it. If it had been, been an old one, it had been kind of brittle, and, you know, a, a lot of the calcium would have leached out, and the first time he hit somebody, the thing might have broken. But he got a fresh one. Fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I've made donkeys of them. There's a little play on words that uh, Samson has here. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. And when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone. And because, now notice this next passage. You already see how here's a guy ruled by his passions gives in when a woman presses him just a little bit, showing some tears, when uh, uses his anger in a vengeful kind of way, not, not, to, uh, not to do the work of the Lord, but just to take revenge for his own life and his own uh, sad situation. Verse 18, because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord. You say, oh, that's great. He's finally crying out to the Lord. You have given your servant this great victory. Well, that's good. I, he should have shut up right then. He says, Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So here he is. Who's he give, trying to give a hard time to now? God himself. But notice how gracious God is. Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his strength returned. And he revived. Now, the thing that we all remember here is just because God demonstrates this kind of grace, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's approval on this person's life. You know, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Just because you get rain on your property doesn't mean that God's pleased with you. It's just part of, uh, part of the grace that God provides. Judges 16. Oh, we're coming to a head now. One day Samson went to Gaza. Uh, uh, Gaza is not uh, many miles from here. It's a, it's a bit to the east. Where he saw a prostitute, he went in to spend the night with her. Now, what's this man who's dedicated to the Lord doing hanging out with prostitutes? You say, there's no way that God can use this guy. Oh, yeah, God will use him. But God is not pleased with his life, and it's, there's going to be some cost involved with this. Incidentally, while Samson was there at Gaza, he eventually tore down the, the gate to the city, tore down the post, and carried them on his shoulders 30 miles away. That's the kind of fellow he was. Verse 4. Sometime later, now this is the part of the story with which we are all so familiar. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The name Delilah means either flirtation or devotee. Uh, devoted to some deity, apparently. The rulers of the Philistines, now how many of those were there, did we say? Five. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength. Now this is why we say it's, it's hard to know if he was physically a big guy. If he was an Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger type and there were muscles bulging everywhere, the, the Philistine lords might or might not have said, what is the secret of your strength? 
So we don't know whether he was just some sort of mild-mannered reporter like Clark Kent who kind of slipped into the phone book and all of a sudden out he came and he could jump buildings at a single bound and do all these things. Of course, this was under the inspiration of the Spirit. But, it's, but they're wanting to know what his, what his secret of his great strength is. And each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. That's a total of 140 pounds of silver. And this was a long time ago when a shekel went a long way. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Now, what's motivating Delilah? Money. That's right. That's what she wants. He's, he's concerned with what's motivating Samson. Sex. He's, he's involved, he is interested in her sexually. She is interested in terms of turning over a few bucks for, uh, for him. And they make great bedfellows. Uh, <clears throat> all right, so how you can be tied up and subdued. Uh, subdue. Notice she's kind of playing games with him at this point. And Samson answers her. And notice and what he does in the story is he gives her three wrong answers. First of all, he says, well, if you tie me up with seven fresh thongs, then nobody can, uh, nobody can, uh, I, I can't overcome that. And she tied him up. Now, you'd think Samson would have, would, the, the light would start coming on when she tied him up with those fresh thongs. And then all of a sudden she said, oh, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he just goes, pop, and those things come off and he beats up the Philistines. Well, she asked him again, and next time he said, well, if you tie me up with new ropes, <clears throat> well, that didn't work. He said, well, what you need to do is weave these locks. Now, remember, he, by now he had real long hair. So he said, if you just weave this hair of mine into the loom, that, uh, then uh, I'll be as weak as any man. So she did that. And I mean, you know, you've got to provide some sort of cooperation to do all this. And I guess he was enjoying just watching her do her thing. But she weaves the locks of his hair into a womb, uh, into, not the womb, but into a loom. Get my, my consonants messed up here. And then what he does, he says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he comes up, rips up the, the loom, and, uh, and then notice what happens. Because this comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Verse 15, she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So what? He told her everything. And he told her that the secret of his strength was where? In his hair. Now, of course, we know that really his hair was not the secret of his strength. What was the secret of his strength? God himself was the secret of his strength. His hair was an emblem of, uh, was symbolic of, uh, of that and his devotion, supposed devotion to the Lord. And having, notice verse 19, having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair. Notice Delilah didn't cut his hair. She got a barber to come in and cut it. And so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. And this is the most tragic verse of all. But he did not know that the Lord 
had left him. That is, the Lord's strength was gone from him. He had violated his Nazarite vow. Uh, he'd been violating it, and now he was really violating it. And a real tragedy here. The Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after he'd been shaved. Now, let me tell you what. If I'd been one of those Philistines, I'd have had somebody in there with a razor, and I'd have said, give this man a shave every day. But nobody did that. And see, that's part of the providence of God, too. Now, the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer... Uh, well, it says, yeah, his hair began to grow. All right, the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate. In other words, they're saying, our god whipped his god. And that is what it looked like. And while they were in high spirits, they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. And when they stood him among the pillars, that is, huge pillars that held up this place where all these folks were, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, saying, Finally, this guy's got it together. He's, he's finally repented and he's praying to the Lord. Notice what he prays. He prayed to the Lord, O Sovereign Lord. Now, that's a good way to start. God, you do what, you're doing what you want to do. O Sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. What was his motivation for doing this? Was it the honor and glory of God? No, it was revenge, and it was because they had blinded him. And then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Now, we ask ourselves, did he accomplish his mission? Well, early on, what was his mission? To do what? To begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Did he do that? Yes, he did. He accomplished that. And in fact, uh, the passage that we just read, that verse, the last part of verse 30, thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. But... I think it would be a mistake to leave, leave it at that. Here's a person who's listed as a hero of faith. What can we learn from all of this? I put several conclusions in your notes there, and uh, let's just look at those rather briefly. Starting well does not guarantee a good conclusion. I mean, here's a guy who he had godly parents, parents who were trusting in the Lord. He was endowed with the Spirit. He knew, his parents knew that there was a plan and purpose in his life from the very start, and yet rather than yielding to spirituality, he yielded instead to sensuality. And we again, we ask ourselves, how can God possibly use a person like this? And yet when we read the Bible, what do we discover? God uses people like that throughout all of the Bible. And God glorifies himself even through that. Secondly, 
God is interested in the development of character as well as abilities. Now, old, old Samson was developing his abilities, but his focus was just external. And the, the interesting thing about it, and I, and I put this in your notes, is that society tends to reward people on the basis of what they do rather than on the basis of what or who they are. And there was a great deal of mutual admiration, apparently, that the Philistines and Samson had for each other. You know, Samson was powerful. He was popular. He was physically, uh, obviously, great. He had a very quick mind. And yet, the flip side of all of that was he was very gullible and haughty and a very demanding kind of person. And that leads us to the third point, and that is that God's sovereign and his providential care is sure his will will be done either through us or in spite of us. What God did was the same thing that he did with those ten older brothers of Joseph. He used, he used those individuals and he used the evil of those individuals to accomplish his own purposes. He didn't make them do evil, but the evil that they did, he turned it around for good. It should remind us of Romans uh, 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good, ultimately, for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. But because God uses a person doesn't mean that that's the stamp of approval on that person. Remember, Jesus, uh, some guys came to Jesus one day, and, and Jesus warned them. And in uh, Matthew chapter 7, he said, Wherefore, by their fruit you shall know them. It's not by their gifts that you know them. It's by their fruit. That is the character of their life. And then ultimately, remember, God is the judge. He, he views people differently from the way you and I do. For us, it doesn't seem like he was much of, Samson was much of a hero of the faith. But this ought to remind us not to write off anyone in those last moments. Even though he had selfish motives, he was calling on the Lord. His life is tragic in many ways. And yet God used him to accomplish his purposes. Why? Because he deserved it? No. Because it pleased God to do so, to bring deliverance, or at least begin to begin to bring deliverance to his people, even through a man like Samson. Praise be to God for his great grace and mercy. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax-deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, or other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.